Good morning everybody. Welcome to our morning service and uh, it's very good to be back. Um, it's uh, lovely to see you all with smiling faces. Um, I hope you've missed me. If you haven't missed me, at least I've missed you anyway, so it's uh, great to be with you. Well, I'll tell you more about my sabbatical over the next um, weeks and months, I'm sure I'll uh, let you know about more of the way in which God has blessed me through that. Um, in case you don't know me, because you're a newcomer to the church, you've just arrived the last couple of months. My name's Neil Turpin, I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been away on sabbatical. It's great to see you as well. Great to see the church thriving. And we're here today to praise and worship God, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that as we start. Um, with a call to worship, first of all, the verse for the year, hopefully you'll have now engraved in your minds. It is, of course, in Psalm 66. Shout for joy to the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his name glorious. Now this year is the centenary, uh, the hundredth anniversary of what a major event in world history. I wonder if any of the younger guys know what happened a hundred years ago. Um, yes, Emily. Beginning of World War One, exactly. Um, now the causes of the start of World War One are quite so complex, and um, I could get Debbie to come and explain them to us, but I won't, if I know she will not forgive me. Um, so what I would like to do is um, show you a video of an interview that took place at the conference that we went to um, a couple of weeks ago at the Albert Hall. Um, it's with Prince uh, Kirill of Prussia. Um, I'll let uh, Nicky Gumbel introduce you to him with that um, uh, title and you'll soon uh, see the, uh, why that is why that's relevant. So if we've got the video about to come up, it's quite amazing, isn't it? Humbling confession. Um, on behalf of his country and his family, it'd be easy for him to say, well, that's one of my ancestors, I've got nothing to do with that. But, uh, Clearly, we are all capable of making the same mistakes. It's easy for us to criticise. And one of the things he said was that his great, great, great grandfather didn't have the courage to stand against what he knew was wrong or to stand up for what he knew was right. And I guess we'll have the same temptation for all of us, only for the younger guys at school. There'll be things that you see actually you know are wrong. Um, and we just pray that the Lord will give us the strength to stand up against them. Um, we're going to have a time of um, confession now. It's good ready to confess our sins and ask God for forgiveness. You know, if we do trust in Jesus, then he does forgive us for all of our sins, uh, past, present and future. But that regular act of confession actually helps us to remember the gift of forgiveness, that we can be forgiven and enable uh, us to move, move forward. So we're still a moment of quiet, just to think back on the past week, I think there's anything that you need to confess to God, um, things maybe you did which you shouldn't have done, or things that you didn't do which you should have done. A moment of quiet, and then we'll say a uh, prayer of confession which will appear on the screen behind me, we'll say that together. First of all, we'll just um, seek the Lord ourselves. So let's say this prayer together. Dear Father, we thank you that you love us and care for us all the time. We know that this week we have not always lived the way we want us to be. We have thought we've done wrong things and not done all the good things that we should have done. 
you have given us so much that we have failed to be thankful and rejoice in your goodness. Only you can save us. So please forgive us and help us to live as your children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning it's, um, it's also communion service. Now normally we do this at the end of the service, um, but we thought it would be quite good to, to bring it forward for a change, to have it um, earlier on in the service. It means for the children and the young people will be able to stay in for this. Um, often you're out to see what goes on, um, so it would be good for you. The preschool children will go out, um, and I'll explain a little bit more in, uh, about what we do and what it's, what it's all about in a minute. But, um, First of all, um, we're going to have a new song, which uh, Rob is going to introduce to us, which um, the words will be very helpful as we go into the communion. So, um, over to Rob, and um, during the song, the, the preschool children will also leave us. Thank you, This is a, a great song, I think, and I think in the life of this church, it, I think we'll sing it several times over the months and years, I hope. Um, as I got familiar with it yesterday, um, I think it's a lovely combination of a good melody with um, words that speak from scripture to us. It begins, man of sorrows, lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of man, the wrath of God, has been on Jesus laid. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honour unto thee. And then there's a bridge which says, Now my debt is paid, paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun set free, oh, free indeed. Good words. Well, the first time that um, Jesus ate bread and drank wine with his followers in a very special way. Uh, it was on the night that he died. He knew that he was about to die because that was part of God's plan. And so he just told his disciples to carry on doing what he was about to do after he went and until he comes again. And it was something to help us in many ways. It was something to enable us to remember Jesus remember what he has done for us. We remember that he died so that we could be forgiven. And so the bread represents his body, which was broken for us. The wine represents his blood, which was shed for us. And we remember what he promised to do. We remember his promise to give believers eternal life. His promise that he will come again to take us to be with him in glory. And that promise is what we call the, the covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. So it's a sad occasion because, it's because of our sin that um, he had to die. But it's also a joyful occasion that through his death we are forgiven, we're made right with God. <coughs> it's a meal for Christians to enjoy together, to celebrate what we have in common, that faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so if you're a Christian visiting from another church, it's great to have you with us, and do please uh, uh, take part in this supper. If you're here because you're, you're still searching, you want to know more about Christianity, then uh, it's great to have you with us, but um, uh, 
you better you don't take part in the in the stuff or just let the play pass uh, as it comes down the the line. And likewise see a few young guys, I know many of you uh, will love Jesus, uh, he'll be your friend. Um, but the Lord's Supper is a serious thing and uh, we wouldn't therefore expect you to take part in it until you fully understand what you are doing and uh, that is normally after you've been baptised you've made that full commitment that you want to give your whole life to, to Jesus. So if you young guys do please just watch and listen and learn and experience Jesus with you. If you are thinking about baptism, then do please have a word with uh, myself or Jess or, or Grant or your parents uh, afterwards. Before we do take care of the Lord's Supper, the Bible tells us to examine our hearts, and that is what we've already done as we have had uh, that time of confession. So now we're going to give thanks to the Lord then for what we're about to, to receive and pray. Father God, we do thank you for what your son left for us. We thank you for the supper that we can take part in to remember what he's done for us. We do thank you that he loved us so much. He was prepared to give up his life for us. He was prepared to take that penalty for our sins that we deserve to take. He stood in our place. We thank you that because of that we can go free, that we can have life, we can uh, know you. Thank you that we can be forgiven. We thank you that you're here with us as we take part in this supper. Thank you that we can experience your presence, that this is a real blessing to us. So, um, we do ask now as we take part that uh, what we're doing will have real significance to us, we'll understand it, and we will better appreciate exactly what you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. On the night um, Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we do receive the bread, and do please um, take it and eat. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to keep the other cups as they serve and then we'll drink together to uh, demonstrate our unity in Jesus. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being to take part in this supper. We do ask your blessing now on the, the rest of our time together with you. We pray for the children and young people as they leave for their groups. And for us as we stay in here and uh, hear you speak to us through your word. Lord, open the hearts and minds of each one of us to hear what you have to say to us. And help us to be willing to, to change where necessary. Help us to know you more deeply as a result. And to, to love you more faithfully. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have a reading from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, and uh, uh, so Mark is going to come and bring that to us. Just as he comes up, um, to give you the context of where we're at here, we start this series in uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, in the story of the Bible so far, God has given a promise uh, that is supposed to fulfilment. He gave a promise to Abraham back in Genesis. He made a covenant with him that he would be the father of a great nation. And he would give them the land of Canaan to live in. In the book of Moses, God, uh, in the book of Exodus, God made a covenant with Moses that uh, this uh, land that he will give them will be a good, uh, spacious land that will be flowing with milk and honey. And so God rescued his people from, from Egypt out of slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai and they made this covenant with them that he will be their God and they will be his people, which will mean obeying him. So he brings them to the edge of the promised land, at which point they, um, they become afraid, they basically lay bottlenecks in their common uh, speech. They don't believe that God will be able to do what he promised to do, that he'll bring them into this promised land safely. And because of the lack of faith, he says, it won't be this generation that inherits the promised land, it'll be the next generation. And so he spent 40 years wandering in the desert until that generation has died out. And now the next generation is at the same place, at the point of entering the promised land. And Moses is about to address them, and notice as you read it that he's addressing them as you. Even though they weren't there then 40 years ago, he's addressing them as you. And let's hear what he has to say. Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Thank you, John. Over to you. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went towards the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, You have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given, is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to buy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected twelve of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported. It's the good land that Lord our God is giving us. But you are unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, Do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in clouds by day, to search out places for you, to camp, and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you, what he, what, what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore. 
No one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he has set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also, and said, You shall not enter it either, but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will leave Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. As for you, turn round and step out towards the desert, along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight, as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, Do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Horma. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Thanks very much, Well, the thing I've enjoyed about um, visiting other churches during my sabbatical is um, the reminder that we are part of a, a bigger kingdom. It's great to be part of a local church and committed to it. But if we become too inward looking, we can lose sight of what God is doing in the rest of the world. It's also interesting that the way we worship when we come together is the, the only way to do it. And then everybody else has somehow got it wrong. But there's actually a lot we can learn from, from each other. And not least a greater acceptance of other churches in the way they, they do things. One of the things I confess I did find hard about visiting other churches was the, uh, the temptation to uh, be a consumer, uh, to go in with that mental sort of checklist of uh, uh, scoring what the welcome was like and uh, uh, what the publicity was like, what the music group was like. And, um, of course, what coffee, coffee is like, that's the most important thing, isn't it? You know, what happens in rank in the, uh, the coffee stake. But whether we like it or not, the way we do behave in our church, when we come together to worship God, the things we do in our services, the, the church culture, if you like, does reflect something of our view of God. One church I visited, for example, uh, you could take a cup of coffee and a donut into the service, um, chat at the back while others uh, were singing. Um, at one point during the sermon, the preacher said, if you find this part of the sermon a little bit too difficult to understand, then feel free to have a little Facebook page and uh, uh, come back and switch on again in a little while. I'm not giving you permission to do that this morning, by the way. Um, now, positively, that, that focus is on God as friend. You know, um, Jesus is saying, you are my friend if you do what I command. It also says that God accepts us with our different personalities. Um, it shows that the church is welcoming towards uh, visitors, wants to be inclusive. On the other hand, you could say, well actually, it does give the impression that church is about me. Um, whatever works for me is okay. The church is there meant to make you feel comfortable. Now other churches of a more high tradition will have a very formal service with a, uh, a lot of liturgy and then times of uh, 
silence. Um, again, with positive, he focuses on, on the power, the majesty, the holiness of God. Um, demonstrates awe and reverence for him. You could say, well, that doesn't necessarily portray God, though, as, as a father who wants to give gifts to his children. Now, you might, you might be wondering, why are we doing a, a sermon series in Deuteronomy, this, uh, this term? Firstly, it's because it's one of the four most quoted books in the New Testament. Um, quoted about a hundred times. Anybody know what the other three are? Anybody want to take a guess the top three? Psalms, yeah. Isaiah, Genesis, okay. very good. Um, I bet you didn't know it's Deuteronomy 4, so did you? But the main reason why I thought it would be useful is because one of the main themes of the book is uh, the character of God. Now yes, of course, God reveals himself through the whole of, of the Bible. But this one focuses on different aspects of his, his person, his character and his work. Now if we want to grow as a church, the temptation to come up with new strategies and structures and, uh, and programs and there's nothing wrong with that, it's important for the church to run effectively. But what needs to underpin all that is a deeper knowledge of God. And we should never be satisfied with our current knowledge of God. We can always go deeper in that. One of those I was reading during my sabbatical was this one by um, Paul Cook called Fire from Heaven, Times of Extraordinary Revival, looking at the time of um, uh, 1790 to 1840. And as he said in, um, in his book, this is, this is what um, he said, what were the men of the Holy Covenant Oxford from 1729 onwards thinking? the Wesleys, the Whitfield, uh, Benjamin Ingham and others, what were they praying for? It wasn't revival. As we've noted, they were thirsting after God, desiring holiness of life. There's something much more important than seeking revival. It is seeking the God of revivals. We need to know God more fully. Let us thirst after him. Let us seek a manifest presence of Jesus Christ. Let us seek holiness of life. Let us hunger and thirst after righteousness. Such holy pursuits are not the exclusion of a desire and prayer for revival, but they are of even greater importance. And God will not disappoint those who long for him. The growth of this church will depend on our knowledge and our thirst for God. And it's not an intellectual knowledge we're talking about here. It's a deepening of a relationship. And that will affect the way we worship, um, how we prioritise our time, how we relate to, to one another. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at God's uniqueness, we'll be looking at God's grace, His faithfulness, His mercy, His compassion, His holiness. And in every passage we look at, there will be a link into the Gospel, a link to Jesus, which will be different every time. This morning we're going to be looking at the generosity of God. We worship a generous God. Now we said the theme before the reading. Um, I mentioned that Moses was addressing the new generation. I just say we're the old, he's saying some new. And it's like we saw the video earlier on, isn't it? It's from a confession from Prince Philip uh, of Prussia that we can identify with previous generations and the mistakes they make can so easily be made again. That's why Deuteronomy is relevant for us today. Yes, we're at a different time, we're at a different place. 
that we're still part of the same people of God. This is part of our history. Now the covenant that God made with Abraham with the people of Israel um, looks ahead to a new covenant. A covenant that will be established when Jesus came to this earth. The theme of the covenant is the same. It's been summarised as God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. But the context of that has changed. The people now under the new covenant are no longer just the people of Israel. The gospel is for all nations. The place is no longer the promised land, a physical place. It is now a spiritual kingdom. And those that belong to that are those who accept Jesus as their king. And God's rule is no longer engraved on tablets of stone. It is engraved in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And of course that story has not yet finished. The place where we will one day go to worship him will be the new heaven and the new earth. And the God who revealed himself in the pages of Deuteronomy, who wants us to know him more and more deeply, is the same God who wants us to be prepared for when we meet him on that great day. So what does this tell us about the uh, generosity of God there? Well, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the word give appears again and again. Have a look at verse 20 in chapter 1. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Or verse 25, taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. They've been given proof of what the rest of the land has in store. It's like going into a Umberto's deli in Tame and they'll give you a little um, uh, morsel of food to tempt you uh, to enjoy the rest of his delicious stuff that he has on display. Well, I can afford to shop at Umberto's, but apparently so people tell me um, all I can do is play with tennis. But, um, it's good. God has confirmed it's good. And the other amazing thing about God's gift to the people here is that it is the finished article. He's not saying, here's a piece of land, um, go and build on it, get your planning permission, get your builders in, get your money together. Um, You'll probably have to wait for windows and the louvers, but um, off you go. <coughs> now he's giving them the finished article. Have a look ahead to chapter 6, verse 10. Actually, look on the screen behind you, hopefully. Chapter 6, verse 10 says this When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It is complete. God has promised them an amazing gift. And the reason they can trust him is because of all that he's provided for them in the past, all that he's given them. Let's back to chapter 2, verse, verse 7. Uh, look what it says there. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, your God, the Lord your God, has been with you 
and you have not lacked anything. You have not lacked anything. He provided the whole nation with food and drink for 40 years. That is some logistical exercise, isn't it? That is bigger than Count Bastion. That is a supernatural provision. Now we don't know why God gives some people more physical blessings than others. This church has incredible material blessings, isn't it? We're, we're aware of that, we're hopefully grateful for that. And we'll come on shortly on to how we respond to that. There are others in different parts of the world who are not so well off as we are. Just think for a moment of your kitchen at home. Just think of what it's like. I've been in a lot of them. I know what they're like. I can picture them as well. Um, the big ones, the smaller ones. But just think how well kitted out it is. <coughs> um, Pete's coming up with a picture of the, the kitchen at the Centre Street Kids in uh, Diggenshaw in Senegal. Um, that is the way I have to work with. Um, but they don't know, they just, just get on with it, they provide food for a hundred odd kids, um, and that's what they use. And why is it that some people can just get on with things? Um, basically because there are other things that are more important than material things. And one of those is relationships, family, friends. Looking forward to that. Celebrating my uh, big one on Friday. If you haven't received the invitation, you're all welcome. So do come and join us on Friday evening. If you are coming, do please let us know though um, after the service. It's good to know exactly how many are coming. Uh, it's great to celebrate the friends, isn't it? <coughs> See these big events. And it's ironic that in our Western culture, even though we have so many material blessings, that um, we probably spend less time investing in friendships than we do in other parts of the world. It's the gift of friends and family that's the greatest gift we've received. It's the one we've been celebrating this morning around the Lord's table. It's the gift of Jesus Christ. We know from John 3.16, I'm very familiar that <coughs> God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, the gift of eternal life. And that gift of Jesus these are many other spiritual blessings, isn't it? If we read in Ephesians chapter 1, we're aware of those blessings of the salvation of eternal life, of adoption as children into his family, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven has given us so much already and wants to give us so much more if we ask him. He's a generous God. Let's go back to Deuteronomy because the people of Israel have been promised this amazing gift, <coughs> a gift of a, uh, a prosperous land. So how do they respond? Do they throw a big party? They're in special costumes and dance to all the 80s classics. Sadly not. <coughs> Verse 26, they rebelled against God. Which is another way of saying they sinned. Rebellion against God is sin at the end of the day. And they did that in three different ways. First of all, verse 27, they grumbled. Moses reminded Israel of all the Lord had done to them. Look at verse 31. You saw how the Lord your God carried you, as your father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. And if you think that the Old Testament, the Deuteronomy, doesn't have 
this language of God as Father, it's there, isn't it? He's a loving Father, a protective Father, a Father who provides. And it's easy for us to read the story, knowing what happens after that, and thinking, but what are people moaning about? They have so much to, to look forward to. But if we think of our own lives, we're just as guilty, aren't we, aren't we? Grumbling, moaning, criticising others is probably the most commonplace sin in a church today. And we do it without realising it, don't we, sometimes? We, we may sort of excuse it as we just, I just need to get that off my chest, or um, we might sort of um, uh, make a joke out of it to make it more sort of acceptable, but deep down it is a grumbling. And it doesn't depend on how much or how little we have. Often grumbling occurs more among those who have more. But deep down, it is a lack of appreciation for what God has given us, what God has done for us. It's almost a, a lack of belief that God really is a generous God, that we have all we need. What we do if we find ourselves in that situation? What we do feel a bit dry in our relationship towards God? What if we can't say that first for the year? Shout for joy to God all the year? Because we're not feeling that joy. But what won't help is simply saying, I'm going to try harder not to grumble and be joyful, and I'm going to be joyful now. We do need to acknowledge, first of all, where we do go wrong. We need to pray the same prayer that David prayed. Remember in Psalm 51, this is what David prayed. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy. Show me again what it means to be saved. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And we need to spend time reminding ourselves what God has done for us. Going deeper in that relationship with him. The second way in which the people sinned was um, basically they didn't trust in the Lord. Verse 28 says, Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. And Moses said to them, Don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. Before your very eyes, in the wilderness, you've seen how the Lord rescued you from Egypt. What are you worried about? You know what God will do, what he says. He's a good God, he's a generous God. But in one of the saddest verses of the Bible there, verse 32, it says, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. They were afraid, even though God had showed them his power, his fatherly love, they didn't trust him. First they didn't appreciate what God had already done for them, and now they don't believe that God will do what he has promised to do. Can I just say that? So if you're somebody who's not yet a Christian, can I just ask you what is it that's holding you back from putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Where else can you go to find meaning, a purpose in life? Where else can you find a God of power, a God of love, a God who will welcome you into his arms as a loving father? 
what is it that you'll need to see to be able to put your trust in him? If you are already a Christian, what are the things that you still find difficult to, to trust God with? And maybe times of crisis, I know a lot of you have gone through times of crisis and not knowing how you will get through them. The end is just so far away, you, know, you just don't know whether you'll ever get there. And Jeff um, Wood mentioned that the interview that Rick and Kay Warren gave at the leadership conference um, the other week, the same conference we saw earlier on, how they coped following the suicide of their son, uh, who was bipolar. And they also asked that same question that the Israelites asked, where can we go? Where can we go? But they knew that the only place they could go was to God. Because he's real, he's alive, and he cares. And maybe you find it hard to believe that with God all things are possible. Do we really believe that God will grow this church? But any of those people that we, we pray for consistently, who we love, who we long to come to faith, do we believe that God can change them? This building demonstrates God's great generosity towards us, doesn't it? It took a lot of faith, a lot of sacrifice to, to get it complete. But it will take a lot more faith and sacrifice in the next stage of the life of the church. Although there was a lot of hard work involved, in many ways, the building project was an easy decision. After all, the church was already full before we even started the project. But what about planning for, for future growth, which may mean starting two services, you may mean starting a new church. Some of you may be thinking, no, no, no I'm quite comfortable now in this, this new building, it's, it's nice, it's a uh, great facility for the kids, you've got space to have a nice cup of coffee afterwards, you can even have direct access to the, the pastors, I know quite a few people now, I feel comfortable here. I'm sure we would all say we want the church to grow, that's part of God's plan for, for any church. But when it comes to it, I imagine there will be a lot of excuses for not making changes that are necessary if we want to grow. And there may be this deep down, either we don't trust God that, will, that God will bless the work, that he will grow the work, or maybe we're just afraid of what we might do. The um, <coughs> FIC conference uh, for Christmas, Andrew Heard, <coughs> Describe churches um, in two ways. Either they're sort of cruise islands, in which case a cruise liner is there basically for the pleasure of those on board, isn't it? You can't get on and off uh, when the cruise liner is at sea. You can enjoy it. Or a lifeboat. A lifeboat exists to save those who are drowning all around you. Now, the sort of church we should be is, is a lifeboat, isn't it? And that means we're all in it together, we all, all need to, to shove one another over to bring other people in. Um, we can't afford to be protected about our, our part of the building, our time in the week, um, our resources, the way we've always done things. We would have to make sacrifices. Because we will need to go forward together in God's strength. We need to follow his plans for us. Which brings me on to the last point, because the final way in which is her sin, was they tried to do things 
in their own strength. What happens when the people realise their sin? When they realise, of course we should have gone in. We should have trusted God. We should have gone in and taken control of it, taken possession of the promised land. Verse 41, they said, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight. The trouble is, they're not listening to the Lord. The Lord is no longer with them. And he tells them, do not go up and fight. Don't they go up anyway? And they're routed. And Moses said to them, I told you that you would not listen. In your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. And one of the things this sermon, the Lord has challenged me with through my sabbatical, both personally for us as a church, is to spend less time trying to do things in our strength, trying to do our plans, and more time seeking the Lord's strength and seeking His plans. And that means, at the end of the day, more time in prayer, isn't it? It's easy to think there are some things that we can do ourselves. We don't need the Lord for this. Not calling him when we need him for the big things, but the Lord is interested and involved in every aspect of our individual life and every aspect of our church life. And the more we trust him with the small things, the more we will see him work in the big things. We have a generous God. He has lavished his love on us in so many ways. If we're to grow in our faith, then let's look back with appreciation for all he's done already. Let's look forward with strength, with confidence in everything that he promises to do in the future. Let's have a moment of quiet to reflect on what he said, to apply it to our own lives and to apply it to us as a church. And a moment of quiet and I'll pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a generous God. That you have given us so much, you've lavished so much love on us. You've given us the greatest gift that we can ever, ever look for. Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him, we thank you for all that it means to be saved by him. We thank you for the relationship that uh, makes it possible for, for us to have with you. And for all your many blessings that you, you continue to pour out on us. Lord, we pray for us that we would not be ungrateful, that we would see that love, that blessing and appreciate it. And as we do so, Lord, we would grow in our, our faith in you and our trust in you for all that you have in store for us. Lord, Increase our faith, we pray. Increase our trust in you. And may we go forward in your strength and in your, your hands and, and not our own. In Jesus' name. Amen. Final hymn is a hymn of, uh, of dedication of commitment as we pray that the Lord would take all of our whole lives and consecrate them to him. Take my hand and let it be, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more 
than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever.